Hello, my name is Pastor Greg Wolf. Welcome to the Jordan Assembly of God Church Sunday Service Podcast. The series that we are doing is titled Life in Christ. It is currently going through the book of Galatians. If you would like to listen to past podcasts, please go to agjordanmt.com and follow the links. Or you may also search for Jordan AG on Spotify, Google Podcast, or Podbean. I'm glad you are here, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Now, without further introduction, life in Christ. Let's pray, and then we'll get started here. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. I pray, Lord God, that we may just have a wonderful time today, uh, just going through your word. And uh, I pray, Lord God, that we may just have just a great time fellowshipping with one another. In your name I pray. Amen. Our series today is Life in Christ, Part 8. One, one, of, the, one of the little things about uh, that we're going to kind of go, go through, it's not about you knowing what is right and wrong. Uh, it is the choice made and action done that determines your character. Okay? Um, most people have that. I mean, you have that knee-jerk reaction when somebody comes up to you and says, well, you know you're not supposed to, and the, the, the immediate reaction is, oh, I know that. Right? So this is not about knowing this is about the reality of how we react and how we, re, how we respond. And, and so the title today is Individual Choice. And Galatians 3, 26 through 29, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So um, that, is, that is where we are going to be going. Uh, that is Galatians 3, 26 through 29. We went through that last week. In this series, Life in Christ, Part 8, Individual Choice, there's an understanding the fact that God created man with the ability to say yes or no to him. To choose to obey him or ourselves. Funny thing is, when we obey ourselves, we blame evil or some outside force, thus dissolving ourselves of responsibility. This allows us to continue to think that we are good enough because it was, you know, yes, I did that, but uh, there's this reason over here, the reason why I did it, and we blame the reason instead of taking on the personal responsibility. Actually, it's, it's interesting, Beth was talking about in Sunday school about responsibility. <laughs> it's interesting how Sunday school class can actually just dovetail right into the service. And it allows us to put responsibility onto beliefs. This is what I believe. As long as we believe fill in the blank, then we have someone to point to. We have something to point to. Adam and Eve, it is easy to blame the serpent. If only the serpent wasn't there, rather than take individual responsibility for the individual choice. In James chapter 1, 
sin is labeled out very, very clearly. I'm getting there myself, so James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, listen to this, he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So, the temptation is only a temptation because it's something that is within you. If you are not a fan of chocolate and somebody is eating a chocolate candy bar in front of you, it's not going to phase you in any way, shape, or form. You could have a bowl of chocolate in front of you and never once at all be tempted to have chocolate. Unlike myself. Who, as if there was a bowl of chocolate in front of me, there would be no concern for other people because pretty soon there will be no chocolate in the bowl. Okay. So I know that this is about myself. This is about temptation. It's not about, it's, it's on the individual basis. Remember, individual choice. It's on the individual basis. What is a temptation for you may not affect me in any way, shape, or form. But what is a temptation for me may not affect you in any way, shape, or form. I still think it's strange that there are some people that don't like chocolate, but apparently they exist. I have met a few of them. So, it's easier to blame something else. It's easier to blame the outside source. Well, if the temptation wasn't there, well, the reason why it's a temptation is because you are struggling in here. This is where the individual choice happens. So, let us recap Paul's point of this letter. Putting yourself under the covenant, the law, the Torah, is putting your faith in the law for salvation, which is not the gospel of Christ which is abide in him, who is the fulfillment, not by works, but by faith. For by the grace that comes from God, through the faith in Jesus, we find salvation, the author and finisher of our faith, our trust the, the, that Jesus is our, our hope and salvation. We trust that. I, we're trusting in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and by his death, our sins are forgiven. That sin is what separates me from God. So Jesus Christ died on the cross so that my sins can be forgiven, that I might have a personal relationship with God, and through his resurrection, I understand and I know that I have a new life in him just as Jesus Christ raised from the dead to the glory of the Father. Okay? So the physical law cannot save. This law was handed down to Moses by God, 
in Exodus 20, 18 through 21. Keep your hand in, in well, in the New Testament, because we're going to be getting back there. But in Exodus 20, 18, Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Bible. And this, and, and I'm referencing this so that you understand the law and also understand human nature and human um, choices that are made. So this is after God came down with lightnings and thunders upon the mountain so that the people would see and know and know that he is God. And in verse 18, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you, notice this, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So how did the people respond? They pointed to Moses. Instead of making a choice to have an individual relationship, they chose an individual to have a relationship. Do you get that? Instead of making an individual relationship with God, they chose an individual to have a relationship for them. It's so, it's so much easier to do that. But Moses said, do not fear. Now, there's two words here, but that his fear and do not fear. There is two Hebrew words here that are different. When it says do not fear, it means, it, it means yare, which means to frighten. But that his fear may be inside you is a um, ira, which means morally reverent. Morally reverent. Which basically would t stand for individual character that chooses what is right, that chooses to obey. Integrity which would be there. And revere to show devoted deferential honor to. Now, if you're like me, you may be wondering where is, what does deferential mean? Deferential means showing or expressing respect and high regard. Do a superior or an, an elder Moses was not pointing to himself, but how they should treat God. So, so basically, Moses was trying to get them to say, listen, don't follow after me, follow after God. Don't, don't do that. You need to have your own personal. Do not fear God, but revere God. Do not, do, do not um, be frightened, but yet in moral reverence, actually honor God with your lives. Now, it was already commanded prior to this that they were not supposed to be going to the mountain anyway and talking. Moses was the one that was supposed to go to, and that's fine. But it's how they were frightened instead of morally reverent is the problem. Their knee-jerk reaction wasn't to, God, your king, your ruler, I am going to do what you say. It was, Moses, you go talk to him. You go talk to him. They focused on the how-tos rather than the purpose of serving God. The how-to 
guides, guides will give the instructions but won't give the purpose to do it. What, what we are supposed to do is obey God. That's something that is, is there. The why is not found in what we got, get out of it. Oh, I obey God because I want to get to heaven. It's found in but who God is. It's so much easier to, to follow after something because you love and want to do it rather than it being a checklist that you have to do. I don't know about you, but checklist gets, it gets a little daunting at times. It becomes an obligation. It becomes a, this is what I have to do. If you love God, obedience is not a have to, but it becomes a want to. But this requires a humbleness and a willingness to change. If you are not willing to be humble, or if you're not willing to change, then what happens is you start looking for logical reasons. You start looking for what makes sense and what makes sense to you rather than what makes sense to God. If you're willing to change, it's not a problem. But if you're not willing to change, you've got to come up with reasons to continue in what you're doing. So here, the Galatians are having people who are offering leadership into how to serve God by the law, a set of requirements. It is easier to agree with the requirements from an individual who you can debate or you can disagree with rather than an, an, have an individual relationship with someone who does not debate nor does he give heed to your disagreements. See, it's easier to have a person tell you what you should do because then you can argue with them. You can disagree. Oh, I don't agree with that. So I'm going to do my own thing because I don't agree with your perspective on that. Rather than have a personal relationship with a God who really, he doesn't debate with you. Has anybody debated with God and have it ever like work out? I want to meet that person. That's just what I'm saying. It's easier to debate with people. It's easier to debate with a checklist rather than when God comes to you and says, you know that person that you struggle with so much? I want you to forgive them. You know that person that you can't stand? I want you to love them. You know that situation that you don't want to deal with at all whatsoever? That's where I want you to go. It's easier to argue with a person or a checklist or a have to rather than when God comes to you with his great love and his great mercy and says, I want you to take on what you don't want to take on because what you don't want to take on in the end is going to be better. So Paul continues in, in Galatians. 
that we are all one in Christ. Nobody is above or below another person. There's not me telling you what you should be doing, and it's not you telling me what I should be doing, but rather it's each one of us encouraging one another in the Lord, building one another up. We are all heirs according to the promise. That word is, uh, that Greek word is kleronymus, meaning inheritor. It comes from kleros, which means a portion or acquisition or something that you've acquired. And it comes from the base nomos, which means law. So it basically is interpreted inheritor by law, by the promise, not the covenant. Paul then further solidifies this statement by cementing. So in Galatians chapter 4, if you're already there, flip over to Galatians chapter 4. He further solidifies this statement by cementing the individual firmly in where they are through Christ Jesus. And going into Galatians chapter 4, looking at verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons." And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So who are you? You are a child of God through Jesus. I want you to think about that just for a second. You are a child of God. That's pretty major. That means that you have a dad who's always made the right choices. This is probably going to be unlike anything in the physical realm that you've ever experienced. Because guess what? You had a human dad. Or have, if they're still alive. Or human leaders. And almost guaranteed, because they're human, they've made wrong choices. They've done things that, and reacted to things that maybe they shouldn't have reacted to. And so here God comes in and he's saying, I'm your father. Well, depending on your relationship, that can be either a really good comparison or a really bad comparison, depending on who you are. But see, and I communicate this in all, in, in all due respect to each individual person and not wanting to step on anybody's toes when it comes to this because there can be some very hurt feelings when it comes to this and I'm not trying to actually hit on this but what I'm trying to indicate is the fact that if you as an individual 
who've, whether or not you've had a good experience with your dad or you've had a bad experience with your dad or with leaders who are over you, whether or not you've had good or bad, God is the good father who always makes the right choice. God is the good father that comes in in a loving way and shows you things that you need to know. God is the one that never leaves you nor forsakes you. God is the one that lovingly guides you. Now here's the thing, based on your personal, what you may be going through or whatever, this is a journey. I may have knocked on a door that you may or may not want to go through. And I'm not forcing you to go through that. I'm saying that in your relationship with God, this is something that he's going to walk you through. Remember, I started this whole entire thing out, is that sometimes, a lot of times, God will look at you and say, that area that you don't want to go is exactly where I need you to go. But guess what? He never leaves you nor forsakes you. He is the good father. And when we come to know Jesus, when we come to know him as a relationship, as an individual relationship, not based on a church, not based on a a, a leadership, not based on denomination, not based on a, a set of do's and don'ts, but based on the fact that God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for you so that you might have a relationship with him. So that not you don't learn then from all the do's and don'ts, but you learn because you are learning what it means to actually have a good father who actually understands, who grasps, who has the grace and mercy to forgive, who walks you through things and takes on things. So good or bad. And then continuing on. But then indeed, in verse 8, but then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. And basically what he was saying is is that you were following after leaders, you were following after people, you were following after man before, and now you know God, and not only know God, but are known by God. And now instead of having that personal relationship with God, you are choosing to go once again to leaders. instead of having your life changed by that individual relationship. In Matthew eleven thirty, Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in comparison to that, in Deuteronomy 27, 26, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, So Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And in the 26th verse of Deuteronomy chapter 27, cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them, and all the people shall say amen. 
You need to agree with that. The law brings about a bondage. You have to do every single thing. You don't do every single thing, and there is a bondage. There is a, um, there is a restriction. Now, I am not saying that the scriptures are, you know, or that, that the law is not important. For, I will say that we are instructed in 2 Timothy 3.16, and I know that I've said this verse before, but I want to make it very, very clear. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, and this is very important, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the scripture is very important to actually instruct, to allow us to actually know so like if you have questions about things, you need to know those things. If you're thinking, boy, that's, that's okay, I should be able to treat that person that way. Well, we can go back in, into the scriptures and we can know. No, that's probably not how you should be approaching things. But how, where is salvation coming from? Is it is salvation coming from the law or is salvation coming through Christ Jesus? And I will respond in the fact that if salvation could come from the law, there would be no point in Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. So, salvation is not found in the law, but yet, instruction is very good in, in, in the law. The law points to the need. And the need is Jesus Christ, the Savior. For no man can follow the law of God without the grace of God, which is exactly what in Acts 15, 8-11 states... So God, who knows the heart, this is Acts 15, verse 8. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And this is Paul saying and describing the Gentiles and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts. And he's talking to Jewish people, Jewish believers in Christ, hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke, listen to the terminology, on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they, both Jews and Greeks, both those who know the law of the Torah and those who do not know the law of the Torah. So then Paul, back in, back in Galatians, hopefully you've kept your hand in Galatians. I did not, so I'm going to be turning it to it myself. So Paul then further encourages to listen based on what they know rather than listen to those who flatter in Galatians 4, 12 through 20. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. They, meaning the people who are 
causing all these issues, zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them, following after people. No, Moses, I, don't want, I do not want to have an individual relationship with God. I want you to go talk to me, or talk to God for me. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Why? Because they are trying to put something in between God and them that is not there. There's the love of God, there's the grace of God, there's the mercy of God, there's everything about God, and every single thing is a learning to follow after. So the real question comes in, where are we? Where have I allowed my own thoughts of what is right and wrong to invade the one-on-one relationship with God? Where have I excused where I should not have excused? Where have I compromised when I should not have compromised? Where have I allowed others' opinions to affect me? Either good or bad. Because where guilt and shame are, where you have guilt and shame, you start making choices and decisions based on that foundation of what makes logical sense to you. I'm going to end with this. When we do what is wrong, when we have sin in our lives, the very first thing that we need to do is be willing to go to God and ask for forgiveness. And how do we find forgiveness? We ask for forgiveness and then we follow after. And we move after. It is an individual choice for every single day of our lives. We choose. The question is, how do we choose? But in that choice, here's the thing, when we do something very, very wrong, we want to do something big in order to make up for the very wrong. If I do something so horrible I want to do something so immense. I want to go out and feed all the poor in the world. I want to go out and, and there, just, there has to be something that I need to do in order to make up for the wrong that I did. There has to be something that I can make better. And God doesn't say that. Because let's be very honest. You did the wrong. There's no way that you can make up for it. There's no, there is no amount of things that are going to change the fact that you did what you did. So, Greg, what do you do? It's the simple things. It's the getting back. It can be as simple as, like, I don't know about you, but I really, if I've done something wrong, I struggle with having my prayer and Bible reading. I don't know about you, but I struggle with, I, I, I start noticing that I really don't really want to go to church that much. I don't really want to hang out with friends that I know who do go to church or who do serve God because I don't really want to hang around those kind of people because I'm not there. 
I'm over here. So what do I do? The simple things. I start my Bible reading and my prayer. I start getting around people who, whether it be going to church or, or hanging around people who I know are following after God, even though I don't want to, but I'm believing and I'm trusting in the fact that when I go to God and I ask for forgiveness from God, I find forgiveness from God. And I don't have to do anything to actually make it up because Jesus Christ did everything that was required for me to find forgiveness on the cross. So we walk. You do the little things. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know if at some point in time, maybe today, it's like a good day with God and you're, and you're reading your Bible every single day. You're praying. You're, you're, you're just hitting that mark every single time. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're not hitting that mark. Maybe you know that there's some area of your life that you actually look at that target and you don't aim very well and that target gets lost. And maybe you haven't hit the mark for a long time, so maybe you just stop actually even trying. If you go to God and confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then what's the next step? Simple. Simple. Bible reading and prayer. Fellowship with one another. Get together. If you have a really good friend in Jesus who you know is following after God, who you know is in the Bible, you may want to go and talk to them and visit and get encouragement and walk together. If there's issues in your life that you just, you constantly seem like you can't get out of, you just can't stop, get with a brother or sister in Christ and talk about it. And if you are that brother or sister in Christ who has someone come to you with an issue, this is not judgment time. This is not, aha! <laughs> Look at what they did. This is a, you know what? Let's pray. Let's go before God and let's walk this together. That is what church is supposed to be about. That's church. Us building into one another and encouraging one another. You want to know why? Because it's amazing. Between Monday, if be, from Sunday to Sunday, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in that, in that uh, six-day period. Six days, seven days, whatever. Period of time. Maybe even eight days. Never mind. Okay, I'll stop. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. You have no clue. So let's follow, let's serve. Make that individual choice. And let's go after. But beware those things that get in the way. Opinions that block. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. I pray, Lord God, that as we move on into communion, Lord God, I pray that we may just have a wonderful time, Lord God, fellowshipping with one another and recognizing the fact that what brings us together isn't 
the opinions. It isn't even the, the things that we necessarily can agree upon. It's actually, it's the very precious blood of Christ that brings us together. For it is through Jesus' blood that we find forgiveness. And as we remember you, Lord God, I pray that you may bless this time. In your name I pray. Amen.